0: Hello and welcome to Jamie's wee podcast episode two. Now there's still no sign of a sponsor at this time for this prime piece of real estate on my podcast. I did set my sale a target of emailing 100 companies this week. I emailed 42, um, a lot of them Scottish companies, um, a few microphone and earphone companies. Three or four replies, all negative, to be expected. No one wants to invest in potential, they just want the superstar. So I'm going to keep trying, I'm going to get to that magic 100 number, and I do believe that someone will believe in Jamie's wee podcast. Um, So if you do have a product or service which you would like to feature at the beginning, then please do get in touch. So episode two has come round thick and fast, and to be honest, I'm very overwhelmed right now from the feedback which I received from episode one. The majority of it was positive. My good friend, Craig Telfer, who will appreciate a shout out, he has a very interesting and popular podcast back in Scotland. He gave me some constructive criticism, which was to be expected. But over overall, it was very good positive feedback, so I'm very grateful grateful for that. You know, the ability to, to vocalize your mental health struggles um, and turn that from a negative a positive it's very therapeutic and empowering for me the majority of the feedback that i did receive was from people who really resonated with the mental health stuff um but in saying that it's also very draining discussing mental health It requires you to go to places which are usually kept under lock and key so sharing as much as i share it really takes a lot of my energy and this podcast episode number two is coming in really really quickly I just feel like I've just recovered from episode one, Um, but I need to learn when to take the foot off the gas, when to share too much, and when not to share things, and, you know, as with mental health, you've just got to listen to your body. Um, And before I get started on episode two, I just want to discuss something which happened today, which again relates to mental health. Um, I was sat in Satu Satu, which is a very lovely cafe here in Bali. It's actually my favorite cafe. So if you ever come to Changu, make sure you go to Satu, Satu. There's a free shout out for you guys because you're so bloody lovely. Um, I was in there for breakfast. Um, I started to feel very overwhelmed to the point where I felt like I was having an anxiety attack. It's it's hard to say that out loud, anxiety attack. It sounds very weak. I was having an anxiety attack sitting in a cafe. But that's what it was. I felt very anxious. And it's the first time I have felt that anxious for a long time. And it just shows you no matter how far you've come, how much you think you are in control of your thoughts, your feelings, and your emotions, it can hit you at any time. Now, the best way to describe it was, my senses were heightened. Like, I was aware of, like, over aware of absolutely everything. Noise, people, things, smells. Um, you know, my chest began to get become tight. I felt physically sick to the point where I was almost being sick with my mocha, my wee hot mocha, which, you know, that would have been a disaster. And I struggled to catch my breath. I was, in all honesty, I was really struggling. um, And I was really struggling to catch my breath, uh, mostly. And, you know, I felt really really uncomfortable and I didn't really know what to do. Uh, And part of the, the anxiety now for me is feeling frustrated at feeling anxious because now I'm so aware of my triggers that I feel like I should be able to handle them before they happen or when they happen. So today felt like a real weakness. Um, so I felt a bit overwhelmed. I think that's what I brought it on. I was really overwhelmed today about all the tasks that we have in terms of wandering to, and now with the podcast, um, you know, emails, formatting old blog posts, creating, updating, optimizing our social media channels, reaching out to brands and services to to bring in more work, which ultimately brings on more money, you know, thinking about next blog post and how to get that content, what are we doing with our Instagram feed, when are we going to take new pictures, have we paid our bills this month, have I even remembered to eat today, you know, is what we're doing day to day enough? And then I realised, I've not even thought about my podcast, which I'm filming tonight, you know, I've never thought too much about the topic, I've not done my bullet points, has anyone left me voice notes to add in as questions, how am I going to do that, have I charged my my cameras, and it was just all this information, all these questions and, you know, tasks were just flooding in, um, and I was really struggling, um, so yeah, so it just shows you, no matter how happy, healthy in body and mind that you feel you are, even if you're feeling like you're in a really good place, you're on top of your triggers, you're you're fighting fit mentally and physically, your mind can still get the better of you at any point in time, and there's there's nothing to there's nothing to be ashamed of when it comes to that, and I can't believe right, I have not had an anxiety attack or felt this anxious in so long, and then I start a podcast to highlight the problems with mental health and speaking about mental health and being aware of mental health. And subsequently, that has an impact on my own mental health. Well, I will drink to that irony. Cheers to that. So to deal with that anxiety, my first thing to do was to try and breathe. And that sounds very simple, but it helps. I put in my earphones and I started listening to my Calm app. Now, if you don't have the Calm App and you suffer from anxiety or depression or whatever, then I highly suggest that you download it. Now, it is $12 a month, or you can pay $60 for the year, as far as I'm aware, the last time I checked. But on there, you'll have meditation, you'll have sleep stories, you'll have breathing techniques. Trust me, it's a great investment. It gets me out of certain situations when I, I really feel like I'm struggling to sleep or you know, if one of these anxiety attack attacks come on, come along. Because breathing ultimately gets um, gets you back in control of an anxious moment. Not only that, I spoke to Ivana, I told her exactly how I felt in the moment. And again, she she's become very good at rationalizing how I feel and helping simplify my thoughts at that point in time to stop me feeling overwhelmed with everything that I'm thinking about. So there you go, as I say, I can't believe that I've started this podcast and all of a sudden I've had this trigger. But there you go. That's just it. Just goes to show it can happen at any point in time. So I just thought I'd share that with you. Um, it might seem that sometimes Ivana and I and other people on social media are operating on forty-eight hour days, whilst you operate on a twenty-four hour day. It might seem that we are being so productive and getting so many things done, and we're, you know, we're here, there, and everywhere, and we just don't stop. As much as that's true, we do not do any more than anyone else. We just highlight the highlights of our day. And it's important to remember that when you're watching social media. Um, Because again, we are just as guilty as looking at other people on social media, whether it's couples or individuals, and seeing how much they get through and just feeling like what you're doing is not enough. Um, But you can only do one thing at a time. So that is what I suggest that you do in that moment. Focus on the immediate task at hand and get that done, and just take it one immediate task at a time, um, rather than trying to deal with 17 different things at the one time, because that is when you will suffer ultimately, the quality will suffer, and your mental health will suffer, all right, so I'm feeling better now, Uh, so thank you to Ivana, thank you to the CAM app, and thank you to myself for working through these anxiety attacks, and knowing when my triggers are happening, and how to deal with them, Without further ado, let's get on to tonight's topic. How to quit your job and travel the world. A question that we are asked a million times a day. Right, maybe we get asked it once a week, but it feels like we get asked it a million times a day. Everyone wants to know, how did you quit your job and how do you travel the world? It sounds so glamorous when you say it like that, but trust, trust me, it's not a glamorous story to get to this point. You only see the outcome you don't see the journey well we document the journey but you don't see the bits in the middle or even the bits before you start your journey you know all the horrible stuff in between so let's cover that let's 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 talk about how ivana and i quit our jobs and decided to travel the world i want to rewind a wee bit and tell you about my story now i work for british gas initially i was living in scotland as you can tell from the accent and i moved to london Because ultimately, I had this dream of coming off the tools, I was a gas engineer, so every day I was working in people's houses on central heating and hot water. Um, And ultimately, I'd been doing that for nine years, so I wanted to get off the tools and become a suit in London. I seen the bright lights of London and thought, I want to be working in one of those big shiny buildings, earning big shiny money and wearing a big shiny suit. I also wanted to buy a big shiny house, a big shiny car, and have a, a shiny lavish lifestyle. Um and that was my that was the the reason that I moved down to London. Also, my mum and my stepdad lived down there. So I had the opportunity to have somewhere to stay and I could get a transfer in-house. So so yeah, that was that was two of the reasons that I wanted to move down. Um I was twenty-eight. I was uh, in full-time employment, and I thought the best way to achieve the dream of becoming a suit. A manager was to go back to uni- university. So I went to night uni, I paid for it myself to do business management, to learn the sk- skills that I thought I required to become a manager. Now university, this was the first time I've been to university and this is where I learned that you do not need to go to university to learn business management. The way you learn business management is by doing. All that university class was, and this is two years of night school, I used to go to work at eight in the morning until six at night and go straight to university two, three times a week. And all I got at the end was a piece of paper. It was a money-making exercise for the people who, you know, charge for these courses. And I learned about loads of bullshit topics. You know, I was doing fucking maths. All right, what is, it was like, I was doing like really complex maths classes. And I thought, what am I doing here? I am trying to learn about business. I want to become the next Richard Branson. You know, I want to become the next Bill Gates. I don't want to be the next fucking mathematician. So it was a waste of time. As I say, ultimately, all I learned in that two years was I did not need university to learn about business management. Now, after two or three years in London, I was exposed to some of the nicer things in life and the rat race. And this is when I started to realize that, in fact, this was not fulfilling at all. You know, the fancy cars and the big houses, these were all short-lived things, insatiable pleasures, you get a nice house, you want a bigger house, you get a new sofa, you want better curtains, you know, you get a cool car, then a year later you want a cooler car. It's a vicious cycle of consumerism, um, which lost its appeal to me very quickly after, you know, being exposed to London and all the lavish things that comes with that and how expensive it is, and also doing that business management course. All of these things that I actually moved down to London for very quickly became the things that I started to dislike London for. Um, But it made me realize that I actually valued experience and connections more. I love meeting new people, making memories and doing things that I'd never done before. Now my job as a gas engineer with British Gas, it really taught me a lot. Um, It taught me what I, I wanted ultimately and it taught me what I didn't want. It taught me what I valued and what I didn't value. You know, I was really locked in there and I am not complaining at all because I was very privileged. As much as I was privileged, I did work hard in my younger years to get to that point, but I was very privileged to have a job which gave me a pension. It gave me shares in the company. I had amazing holiday entitlement, especially in the summers. I got holiday pay, um, sick pay, and the option of like double time overtime, um, and call it as well. But I fucking hated it. I hated it. The only thing I enjoyed about that job was the odd cases of validation where you would fix an old person's central heat or hot water because you know that that's an essential part of their survival. Um, and the only other thing I liked was the guys that I worked with. Shout out to the guys. We had some amazing times. We used to meet up for lunch. used to go on some amazing nights out down at Brighton and stuff like that. But that was the best thing about that job. The experiences with other people and the connections I had with my workmates. Now, one thing that really resonated with me in that job is I would hear other engineers, especially some of the the kind of older engineers, who they had set a lifetimer for retirement whilst agonizing on the day-to-day about how much they hate their job. Now, it began to dawn on me that, you know, the destination shouldn't be the fulfillment, but instead the journey The day-to-day, the mundane, the highs and lows, the problem-solving, the experiences, the people you meet, the places you go, and the things that you overcome. If you have any form of countdown clock in your life, then to me, you are not living life correctly. You should not be counting down to the weekends. You should not be counting down to your next holiday. You should not be counting down to especially fucking retirement. I cannot believe that some people look forward to retirement. I mean... It's no guaranteed for one, but you work what fifty? No, probably about fifty or sixty years of your life to enjoy what ten years, ten healthy years at best. I mean, how fucking that that baffles my mind when I think about that. That people actually have a countdown clock to retirement. That's things like that. Just I, I don't I don't relate. I don't relate. So I, as I say. The destination, yes, should be fulfilling. But ultimately, the journey to the destination, the outcome, should be fulfilling. Every single day should be fulfilling. So You should be doing something that ultimately you either enjoy or that you want to do. And if you're not doing that, then life is far too fucking short. You need to make a change. How many people do you know who look forward to their one holiday year the new sofa, the bigger house, trading the car for a slightly better model. You know, I I do envy the people who are genuinely that content with life, um, as there is no right or wrong way to live, but, you know, again, that just was not for me. My single biggest big old goal became making sure every single day was spent doing things that I love. Making sure I was in charge of choosing my own problems instead of, instead of them having them forced upon me by an employer or by being in situations that i didn't want to be in or didn't choose to be in as i say i wanted my life not to be about retirement or material but instead connections especially with other people and experiences new experiences now again this is not a diss on people who live that way we all have our own ways to feel fulfilled but there are those of you who like me who i know do not feel fulfilled but continue to live that way anyway because ultimately we are conditioned from a young age and from our surroundings, our environment through the entertainment, through the media, our friends, family, our peers that life should be about attaining more money and more things. And before you have the chance to breathe through your teenage school years, you are very quickly sucked into this this horrible vacuum. You know, all of a sudden you've got to, you've got to make all these life decisions at 16. And before you've got a chance to even think about, you know, what would fulfill me at this point? You're like, oh shit, I need to go to college because everyone else is going to college or I need to go to university or I need to get a trade. And then you're 18, 19, 20, and then it's like, oh, my mates are getting a girlfriend or, a, you know, a fucking boyfriend or whatever. And then it's like, oh shit, my mate's got a new car or, they're, they're, you know, look at that holiday they've went on. And it's just like you're constantly trying to catch your breath. And this is just the way we're conditioned to think and to live. And there's just so many of us who, who walk around and live day to day, doing things that we don't enjoy, because that is what we are made to think we're meant to be doing. And again, I find this very difficult because I'm not trying to be negative, and I'm not trying to judge other people for living that way. All I'm trying to say is, it's very difficult to remove yourself from that. But what I'm saying is, if you want to quit your job and travel the world, it's almost like you've got to recondition your mind. You've got to remove yourself from that conditioning. You've got to think, am I fulfilled day to day? And if you're not, then make a change, do not get to 60, and have any regrets that, you know, you had an opportunity at 20, or 30, or 40, or 50, that you you could have made a change, and could have started living a life that was fulfilling, because trust me, it's never too late to start living the life, and start, you know, feeling fulfilled, I, I lived a life up until I was 30 years old, which I was completely unfulfilling, I chased the wrong things, uh, I chased all things, I, you know, I chased women, I chased alcohol, I chased expensive things new cars all the ca- all the stuff that we all chase um to try and feel fulfilled so but it took me till 30 years old to make to make that change but it's never ever too late you know for me i found the clarity and the strength to remove myself from a life i thought i should be living to pursue a life that i knew i should be living that's the difference there's a huge difference you've got to remove yourself from a life that you think you should be living to pursue a life that you know you should be living so these are all very much of it as you can tell already very much of it as a mindset um for me getting to that point whilst living in london where i realized that the material wasn't for me the money wasn't for me you know the lifestyle wasn't for me and i no longer wanted to be a suit i no longer wanted to chase the the high-flying job up in london uh, and that the business management thing was just a waste of everyone's time that is around the same time that I met Ivana. Now, her story, which we'll get into on in a completely different episode at some point, uh, is we met on Bumble. Now, the instant attraction with Ivana was her energy. She had a love for life, that was clear. But the biggest thing that I noticed about her pictures and obviously her accent and where she was from is she was well travelled, and that intrigued me. The fact that she was so well-traveled that she had traveled through Europe to get to the UK and she was living in the UK on a two-year visa. The big OE or something that the Kiwis or the the Aussies call it, I don't know. Um, But that really intrigued me. And I'd never met, really. I'd never been in close contact with someone from New Zealand, especially. Um, I mean, New Zealand doesn't even exist on a map in some places, I'm sorry, New Zealand. I don't make the maps. But it's very rare for someone in scotland to meet someone from new zealand so you know it was like seeing i don't know someone from the circus that's probably a terrible um description of someone from new zealand especially ivana i apologize ivana i'm not calling you a clown i'm just saying it's very rare it's like seeing uh, um bigfoot No, that's that's even worse that is a worse um comparison let's just stick with the clown thing so again, it was our it was her accent. It was where she was from, the well travelled thing. And oh she was she was beautiful. I mean that was that was a bonus. So we got together and it was a beautiful romance. The first year and a half we went on city breaks, we worked hard and you know, people used to joke about joke to us quite a lot about oh, you guys should just quit your jobs and travel the world. You're always away doing things and you're always away in city breaks and you know, you're always taking pictures in beautiful places. As I say, after a year and a half, we went to Australia and New Zealand for four weeks, which is a a massive, massive trip for me. I'd never been that far away from home before, for that amount of time. So it was a huge, th- a huge trip for me. Um, I met Ivana's parents. I seen Ivana's hometown of Auckland. She's from Devonport. For anyone who's listening from New Zealand, she's from Devonport. So that was lovely. And we went a road trip through New Zealand. We went from. Where did we go from Auckland down to Queenstown? We went via Wellington, um, and we hi- highly hiked Franz Joseph Glacier, skydived in Queenstown, and it was absolutely beautiful. Like I say, Scotland's the most beautiful country in the world, because it is. Again, I'll fight anyone who, who disagrees. But New Zealand is a very close second. It's absolutely stone-cold stunning, but it doesn't exist on some maps because it's so far away. Um. But I had a great time all the same. I really enjoyed New Zealand. We also then flew over back towards Australia and we had drinks by the Sydney Opera House with Havana's mates. You know, it was just full of incredible life experiences. And never once did I feel like, oh, I'm homesick or I'm too far from home or I've been away from home for too long. At any point, I was just having such a good time doing all these things, having all these connections, jumping out of planes and lying in helicopters and it was just amazing I was having such a good time and I felt so fulfilled for the first time in my life I thought this is what I should be doing every single day this is what I love doing and you know what the deal clincher was when we made the decision to go traveling full-time this is what happened so ivana and I went to as I say we were in Sydney and we stayed on Bondi Beach which is bloody lovely let me tell you that and we went a walk, it's a famous walk, and again, you Aussies all know it, it's from Coogee, Coogee Beach, I think it's called Coogee or Koogie Beach, forgive me for my pronunciations, we went on the Coogee Beach, Coogee Beach, can I can't say that, Coo- Coogee, Be- Coogee Beach, uh, Coogee Beach to Bondi Beach walk, it's quite a famous walk, um, you know, you walk along the coast, you see Bondi Beach, you get a lot of good views, and it's very like, you know, fitness orientated, you know, it's like a Monday afternoon and there's like people that jogging and surfing and running and just looking fucking beautiful. You know, I was this white pasty Scottish guy and had all these beautiful Aussies running about around me. The guys were beautiful, the women were beautiful, the, the dogs were beautiful, everyone was just beautiful. You know, even the dogs had a beautiful golden Aussie tan and six pack. But the deal clincher, the deal clincher is when we were at Bondi Beach I seen a group of school kids, now that sounds creepy when I say it like that, but I seen a group of school kids, bear with me, it's not creepy, and they were leaving the school to go down to Bondi Beach to have surf lessons. Now, you're lucky if I was allowed to leave the school to go to the shop across the road to buy a rolling sausage. And you've got all these little Aussie school kids who are running down to the beach with their surfboards for surf lessons. And I thought that is, that that blew my mind that that was a lifestyle that existed sunshine beaches the outdoors you know surfing barefoot not one piece of material apart from the surfboard no countdown timer you know it was just experiences and connections with the other people on the earth and i thought you know what this is about me i want the sunshine i want the you know i want to walk a bit barefoot on a monday afternoon on my way to work um i want to look beautiful like all these dogs, and I'd I'd love to try surfing. You can't surf in Scotland. You'd end up with hypothermia, um, and you would probably get lifted by the police. So I, you know, I, I, that was the deal clincher for me. Seeing these wee kids running down to the beach, softballs in hand. You know, it's part of their skill, by the way. It just it seemed to be like a school lesson. And I thought, nah, that's that's for me. That is that was for me. So, Ivana Ivana and I agreed around that time, that, you know, that we wanted to quit the London rat race, you know. There was a reason why we went to the other side of the world, you know, we were sampling that lifestyle. I know what Ivana was up to, she never said it, but she was she was trying to sell Australia and New Zealand to me and sell it she did, you know. Um, I was convinced, returning back to a cold, wet London rat race in, the, in January... You know, that's after being on Bondi Beach, barefoot, with some beautiful dogs. I was like, nah, that, that's that's for me. That is for me. So it was beautiful to see that, you know, this dream for me, that had long been unspoken, unattainable, because ultimately, there's not a lot of people in life that you meet who share similar dreams as you. But Ivana, you know, she's got a similar mindset again. She was a traveller at heart. She travelled to meet me. Not to meet me, but to get to London where we met. And instantly she was like, Yep, I'm good to go. Let's quit this. Let's quit our jobs and let's go for it. No, it never took much of a conversation. So I mean, have a have a conversation with your other half and said, Do you fancy quitting your job and we'll go traveling? Immediately we're like, <laughs> ah, let's let's go then. Let's go. But very quickly you'll find that, you know, ah, oh, you know, I I've got a uh, you know, I've got I've I can't leave, you know, the work needs me, or, you know, we've got the mortgage, or, or you know, we've got the car payments, or, you know, we're, we can't leave the cat, or, you know, or my mum's birthday's next week, or, oh, you know, we've got that stag do in, in, in the summer, you know, it's very difficult to meet someone, is what I'm saying, who's got the same mindset as you, and is so gung-ho when it comes to making such massive life decisions. So, thank you to Ivana for being that person, for being the person who is so willing to help me fulfill my dreams. And the two biggest immediate obstacles in the way were telling my family and telling my work, my place of work, about the fact that I wanted to quit and travel the world. I think I told my I think I told my work first I said to my boss I, I went and met up with him and I just said listen, you know, this is how I'm feeling. I feel like I've, be, I've been with the company for 9 years I've always had this dream to travel, and it's nothing to do with the job, it's it's everything to do with, you know, just me wanting to fulfil this dream, and I'm not going anywhere else, I'm not leaving for another company, and all of that, and they were fantastic, my work were absolutely brilliant, so much so that they offered me a two year sabbatical, which basically meant, I'd technically left the company, but if I was to return within that two years, that they would try and accommodate with accommodate me within a similar role. Um, and then when I told my family, well, they were buzzing. Every single one of them were buzzing. And they were all so supportive, which was, you know, it's worth its weight and gold. When you do something as massive as, as this in life, it's worth its weight and gold when you get your family's approval and encouragement. You know, there was no pressure at that point to go, you know, Jamie, you're 30-year-old. You, do you really want to quit that well-paid job with all the benefits to go, to go travel the world? And, you know, should you not know, be settling down and having kids and getting married and all that kind of stuff? never once did they see anything like that so I was very very lucky in that respect now every now and again the universe is as subtle as a brick in the face I was living with my mum and my stepdad at the time in London and Havana was living in Fulham and her lease was almost up just as we came back from Australia and New Zealand and we'd made that decision that we wanted to travel um, and we had set ourselves a date to leave nine months from that date that we made the decision to travel. So I think it was maybe February or March that we de- made the decision, right, we're doing it. This is it, we're doing it. And we thought, right, 23rd of December is the day that we are going to leave our work. We need to tell our work, we need to tell our families. So I told my work, I told my family, but the story about telling my parents at the time, the ones that we were living with, my mum and my stepdad, we were living with them in London. um, well i was living with them in london at that point and i was very grateful because it allowed me to save some monies but we took them out for dinner and we, uh, this is when we you know we told them our plans about um that we wanted to travel and you know in 9 months we're going to leave 100% this is th- this is a thing that's happening and ivana's lease was up was there a chance that ivana could move in with us um so she, so we could save her money so she didn't have to find a new year lease which ultimately she would only be paying 9 months for she would save money, obviously, in a lease, which in London is a lot of money. And they were delighted. They were supportive. And they said yes. And they also told us at that point in time, they were moving back to Scotland. And it was happening in the next six months to a year. So we thought, fantastic. If Anna can move in, but, you know, ultimately we might meet, need to move out during this nine months of saving and stuff like that which we did. We had to move out after about six or seven months. Thankfully enough, our, my friend Ben had a flat in London that we could rent, so thank you to Ben who allowed us to stay in that. But, you know, we had a, it was quite, making that decision decision was a big deal. And then Ivana had to move in with us, and then ultimately we had to move into another flat, all within that nine months of you know trying to save and all the traumas that comes with trying to save, which I will get into. Now, we didn't give ourselves a financial target of how much we wanted to have before we left to travel. We we gave ourselves, like, a mental target. How much have we got left in the tank working and living in London? Now, I'd been there for, I think, about four years up until that point. Nirvana just, I think, over just two years. Because I think she arrived on her Kiwi passport and transferred over to her Croatian passport. So, it meant she could stay longer than her two-year visa. So, I think she'd been over in the UK for just over two years at that point. So, But ultimately we both were tired of the London rat race. We both absolutely adore London to bits and we've got so many special memories there and it will always have a big place in our heart. But we were so tired. It is such a tiring place to live. Um, but yeah, we wanted to leave with as much money as possible, but it wasn't the deciding factor because ultimately you know, no no amount of money is ever going to be enough especially when you were earning the money that we used to earn because we did earn really good money to ultimately earning absolutely nothing. You know, so it didn't really matter how much we saved. We just knew that we would save as much as we physically and possibly could. Um, but ultimately, mentally, we wanted to leave on the 23rd of December. We wanted to leave our jobs, leave London on the 23rd of December. Now, I want to talk about the saying, anyone can quit their jobs and travel the world. Just do it. Now, I think that cliche is as false as it is true and can be equally as disheartening as it is empowering. A lot of people say, if you watch Instagram stories and, you know, ask me a question and someone always says, oh, how do you, how do you quit your job and travel the world? How do you afford to travel? And people just say, oh, yeah, just, you know, just do it. You know, anyone can do it. Anyone can quit their jobs and just travel the world. Yes. Yes, anyone can quit their jobs and travel the world, but we all possess various different circumstances. The three things we all possess, no matter what your circumstances are, and things that we can control, are your attitude, your consistency, and your patience. Uh, Not all people are lucky to possess either money or the power to earn money, not to the extent where you can fund full time travel, not within a certain time frame. Anyway, we can all earn money, and we can all earn a certain amount of money that could sustain full time travel. Some might take longer than others. But, you know, all of us don't have the same resources as one another. We all don't have a supportive family or friends. So if you're ever on Instagram and you hear someone saying, "Oh yeah, just you know, just quit your job and..." And travel the world, It's you know. It's just, just do it, just do it. Don't feel disheartened. And if you do feel disheartened, that is a normal way to feel. Because your circumstances might be difficult. Now it is true, anyone can do it. But the way you get to do it, might have a few more hurdles in between. And it might take a little longer for you. So never compare your situation to others. It might feel impossible at the time of hearing someone say, yeah, just quit your job and travel the world. That might feel impossible at that time, but it's not impossible, let me tell you that. It might just take you a wee bit longer. There is always a route to success or there's always a route to finding fulfillment. And if it's full-time travel, then that route is open to you. It might just take you a little longer. And as I say, if you have the right attitude, if you've got consistency and patience, that you want to quit your job and you want to travel the world, then you will overcome, you will conquer and endure any task, problem or hurdle that falls in your way. Trust me on that, we have done it. Now my example of this was all the changes we had to make in order to make our, our dreams, our travel dreams a reality. You know, we went from going out every weekend. Now if you know me, which if you watch the stories, you'll know I like to go out now and again. You know we used to go to nice restaurants we used to treat ourselves to going out a drink and a dance we were always doing one of the things that ivana and i always done was find cool and quirky places to go and have date night and we would have one or two date nights a week and we went from all of that to cutting out alcohol completely we stopped eating out that meant like eating out and getting takeaways we stopped buying things that weren't life essentials we would eat cheap Frozen food from Tesco You know they chicken You know you get a bag of chicken For like ninety nine. It's like a bag of like 27 breasts That's what I was living on You know what my dinner Every night was actually As soon Especially as soon as we moved Into that That new flat When my mum my and stepdad Moved back up to Scotland I would buy We would go to Tesco's Every Sunday And I would buy I think like 10 boxes Of those like Chicken breasts And the boxes, it was like two for a pound. And I would have them for dinner every single night with beans and coleslaw. Ketchup and mayo, granted. You've got to treat yourself, you know. You can't can't torture yourself. So I'd ketchup and mayo as a wee treat and a can of Iron Brew. And that was my dinner pretty much every night for about four or five months. Um, And we also used to meal prep as well. So our big shop on a Sunday consisted of buying like mince or... I don't know, spaghetti, or just something that we could prep for the entire week for breakfast and lunch, and that was it, you know, we were eating very resourcefully, like, we were we were spending very little money on food, no money in going out, no money in new clothes, no money on alcohol, no money in anything, really, unless it was a very special occasion, of course, if it was a friend's birthday or whatever, we would still attend, but we were so frugal with our money, so if we go to one extreme of having like such a brilliant London lifestyle to just living like, like prisoners, basically, eating prison food. Although I did like the chicken breast. Credit where credit's due, it was probably 1% chicken, 9% other things that I would rather not know, but there you go. That That's what we were living off. Again, it was a monumental change in lifestyle, which meant sacrificing and reconditioning everything that we were used to. And we sacrificed it for the boring, the mundane, and the repetitive. You know, our fulfillment at this point, as hard as it was, was the day-to-day, because we could see the the money that we were saving. Seeing the money that we were saving rather than spending was fulfilling. I did speak earlier about, you know, don't focus on the fulfillment and the goal focus on the fulfillment day-to-day. And as hard as it was, I was feeling fulfilled because I thought, you know what, this all contributes towards our ultimate goal which is to leave at the end of December to go travel full time. And again, ultimately we thought this money that we would normally spend on alcohol or Ubers or whatever else you would spend your money on in London, it was gonna be instead spent on experiences and new connections and meeting new people around the world. Let me tell you this, when you live in London, if you sneeze, you spend 18 pounds 63. If you think you're going for lunch, then you've spent £27.87, and if you even dare set foot on a train to go up London just for a walk about, you are £100 down. It's an expensive place to live, so let me tell you, saving money in London was not easy. Um, That was a hard, hard nine months, and I had to have the right attitude at work as well, you know, towards the winter, which was ultimately our busiest time as the cold weather comes in, I was working very long hours. I was working eight till eight in the morning until eight at night, and then I'd be on call out some nights. And there was one point where I worked. I think it was six or seven weeks in a row, in a, and by in a row I mean like every single day, no days off, because I was I was I was taking the offer of double time overtime. I was taking the offer of call out. I worked every single hour that I could, but every day at that point, merged into one. And as the mornings became darker, and the evenings became darker, and the cold, the, the temperature became colder, the old seasonal seasonal affective disorder kicked in. Now, if you've not heard of it, it's a thing. Um, it's something that I definitely suffer from. You know, I get all the good things, anxiety, depression, and seasonal affective, seasonal affective disorder, easy for me to say. But that's basically when you don't get a, a, a right amount or a, a enough daylight, vitamin D, I think it is, and it, and it can affect your mood, which ultimately it did for me. It made it, in the winters, I found it very difficult. And when I was going to walk every single day in the cold, in the dark, it really, it was it was such a, a really difficult time. Then when you add in the fact that I was eating the, the 1% chicken breast and there was a complete lack of any physical exercise, it really took its toll on my mind, on my body. I felt, honestly, I felt like I'd, I'd been beaten up by Mike Tyson. Um, by the, the point where it came to leave my job, I felt I, I feel like I've been battered. And ultimately, it, almost, it also had a, also had a, you know, an effect on a relationship. Because, again, Ivana and I had went for the point where, you know, we were doing things every week. We were seeing each other most nights. We were having the best time ever in London. We went from that to never going out to, you know, we gave up the gym. We never went on date nights. We were eating shit And I was working all the time So it was it was a very difficult time But again we were focused on the goal in hand We knew it wasn't forever This was not a lifestyle That we were living forever We knew it was just a means to an end That's a good way to put it A means to an end You know we weren't working towards a material goal It was towards an end goal Of fulfilling our ultimate dreams So this this is what kept us going every single day it was also during this time that Good Old Wondering 2 was born. Now, I would send Ivana 30 or 40 names every day, um, and we wanted a double meaning. Something that was available in all channels as well. You know, we didn't want to have, like, something, something, underscore, or, you know, dot, co, dot, UK, or, you know what I mean? We just wanted to make sure that the name was a little bit unique. had a double meaning, and it was available as a blog name, an Instagram name, a Facebook name, all that kind of stuff. Um, and I think it was over a cup of tea that I'll take credit for it. I said wandering too, Ivana will probably take credit for it, but regardless, we came up with wandering too. Um, I think I pitched it and Ivana confirmed it. She was the one that was the, the decision maker. I was the pitcher and she was the decider at that point. And we set up our blog, which was ultimately going to be used as a travel diary. We set up an Instagram. At that point, I had no interest in Instagram. I knew nothing about Instagram. I just used to post selfies, if you were lucky, usually drunk, sometimes naked, I uh, probably wouldn't get away with the stuff I used to post, um, but Ivana, she was really into the old travel couple thing at that point, and uh, funnily enough, our favourite travel couple at that point I think was Marie and Jake, amongst others, and it's weird to think that we're now friends and we're going to their wedding, so that's, that's weird how we went from sitting in, in the kitchen, dreaming of these full-time travels, whilst looking at these couples who are full-time traveling, dreaming to be what they're doing, uh, following their adventures, and ultimately we, we got to meet them and become friends, and I will be at their wedding, so that's that's quite weird, actually, when you think about that. But anyway, we would also watch a lot of Mr. Lost LeBlanc, Christian LeBlanc's vlogs for inspiration, um, to the point where I thought, I'm going to make a weekly vlog. I'm going to document our travels like that guy because that's that looks fun. I remember we would, we would cook our dinner every night and instead of watching, you know, Ready, Steady, Cook or fucking Come Dine With Me or any of that other shit. Uh, My Kitchen Rules, though, was good. We used to watch that. That was fantastic. That really, that was the highlight of our days, most days, actually, when we were slogging away. My Kitchen Rules. Um, but, yeah, we used to watch Christian LeBlanc's Philippines vlogs, I think, which were very popular at the time. And he just had them on in the background as I was cooking my one percent chicken breast, and we would sit down for dinner and just make our way through his vlogs. So that was, you know, that was a big inspiration um, to see what he was up to. And again, I, th- I thought I was going to be a vlogger because I thought I could do that. I can, I can talk to a camera. Um, ultimately, I did try it for the first couple of weeks. I was terrible. I was terrible. Um, I found it too difficult to talk to the camera. Believe it or not, I know I'm, i I come across natural, but I found it too difficult. I was very boring, very monotoned, and ultimately they just took too long. Like making a weekly vlog as we were travelling, especially through Thailand, it was just too difficult. So I gave up. I gave up, and it was weird actually. We seen I seen Mister the Blanc, old man's other night. It was it was weird to see him. I'd I'd say I'd met him, but I didn't meet him. I was f- far too drunk, and he looked like he was having such a good time as well. But it's just weird to be in, in the environment, you know. You know, we used to be sat in a, on a couch in London, dreaming about these people on our tellies and on our phones. And now, like, we see them in real life, living the life that we used to see on the telly. It's just, you know, it's, it's bizarre. Anyway, we didn't used to plan, uh, we didn't, sorry, we didn't plan to use our channels for anything other than a travel diary. Well, I didn't at that point, um, for friends and family. I think Ivana had a wee bit of aspiration, you know, thinking that we could become like one of these travel couples or something like that, but uh, ultimately at that point, it was just for me, it was just about documenting the travels and, and seeing what happened. Now, at the end of the nine months, we had saved a grand total of £25,000 between us through hard work, saving, a whole lot of sacrifice and just money we had before. i had sold a few shares um, and I, it was that was quite... It was quite satisfying, and it was at that point where it's like, you know, that, that's a lot of money. We could buy a very nice house in London for that, and we could live a very comfortable life in London with the wages that we are earning. But never once did I think, and never once did I get I'd any doubt in my mind that we were doing the right thing. Not once. You no, know, with 25 grand in the bank, you no, know, with good money coming in, you no, know, a good lifestyle, you no, know, in a good place, we had friends, we had family around us, you know. We were at a point in our life where, you know, society says you should be settling down and having kids and all that kind of stuff. Never, never at one point did I have any doubt that we were doing the right thing to go and spend this money traveling the world. Now, what I also had at that point, I did have property and I still do have a property in Scotland. I've got a flat, a three-bedroom flat. And I rent this out. I started to rent. I rented it out to my little brother at first until he moved out recently. Someone else has moved in. And it does bring a passive income now before you think, Oh my God, you're so lucky to have a property that you can rent out and get a passive income I get like after after, you know, all deductions and stuff like that, I'm left with probably debt. Um I'm probably left with minus. So I'm I'm keeping the flat for long term just in case it's like the ultimate fallback. Um and this is actually the part where I asked Ivana, Ivana's advice about tonight's podcast. I was like, have you got any advice or things that I could talk about with this topic? I feel like I'm going to be a wee bit over, all over the place. I'm going to go off on tangents. And then, you know, this is a perfect example of how opposite Ivana and I think and how we approach things completely different. Now, she suggested that everyone should have a plan B. You know, don't be too quick to sell things, such as your material things, or if you've got a flat, don't sell it, rent it you know um, make sure you've got a fallback a plan to fall back on for example my flat like don't sell it I've went to sell it a few times I must admit I have thought about selling it a few times but every time she says no Jamie do not sell it Um, whereas me my thoughts are you know if you give yourself a safety net in life you will always use it my work gave me the sabbatical of two years and I thought don't give me the two year sabbatical because I don't want to come back here and I don't want to have this option. I mean, obviously, I was very grateful to them for, for giving me that, that two-year sabbatical just in case that something did happen. But ultimately, I just wanted the rug to be pulled from underneath my feet, the fire to be lit underneath my arse. Um, but again, there's no right or wrong way to do things. Ivana is very pragmatic. She's very thought, you know, she she plans ahead. She she sees the worst outcome. Whereas I'm a wee bit more gung-ho. I'm a wee bit chips all in and see what happens and hope for the best. And that's the way we live our lives. But, you know, ultimately, she compliments me because she makes me think about things twice before just going gung-ho. And, and ultimately, I make her a wee bit more impulsive. So it works. So the big day finally came. December 23rd 2017 and that was it we packed up our things in London my dad came and picked us up from Scotland we were going to head back up there for Christmas and New Year's and it was weirdly satisfying to look at you know 30 years of my life and the contents of a few black bags that could fit into the back of my dad's three-door car 30 years of my life and three or four black bags. It's very weird to see your life packed up like that, but it was it was it was oddly satisfying to see that I hadn't accrued a lot of material things. I mean, obviously through the the moves from my mum's to the flat and that kind of stuff, we had shared a few items, but it just it confirmed the fact that I wasn't a materialistic person. So it was nice to see that. Um, so Christmas and New Year's was also weird. I'd never been unemployed before. 30 years old, unemployed, back up the road in Scotland for Christmas and New Year's. And not only that, you know, usually if I went back home for Christmas and New Year's when I was living in London, I'd be going back to work on like the 3rd or the 4th of January. But no, I wasn't going back to work. The thing I was going to next was Australia. I was going to travel the world directly after Christmas and New Year, which was such a weird sensation. Now, this is the hard part. And this is the hardest part of the whole process that no one can prepare you for. And it's something that I hadn't really thought about up until the point of when it was getting closer and closer, you know, a week or two weeks before. And that is saying goodbye to your friends and your family. Now, I was used to living away from home. I'd lived in London for four or five years. But, you know, London to Scotland is a one-hour flight. It's a -a four-and-a-half-hour train journey. And I was up there every other month to, you know, to touch base, you know, I was in the t- same time zone, had the same weather, you know, as much as I was away from home, I was never really away from home, and all of a sudden I was about to travel to the other side of the world for an unconfirmed amount of time, away from my friends and family, in a different time zone. So as I was getting up, they'd be going to bed and vice versa. And that that was that was a weird sensation when that first hit. And it's something, again, no one can really prepare you for. It's something that no one, well, I hadn't heard anyone talk about it. And the hardest part about that whole process, even more so, was leaving my dad. Now, my dad is literally the best dad in the world. He's the nicest, he's the most generous. Genuine. He's selfless. He's caring. He's compassionate. He's just one of the the one of the best guys you'll ever meet in the world. He never like I went without nothing in my life, and I continue to go without nothing in my life. If I if I needed my dad at any point, I know he would be there for me. And he always checks in. He always checks in. He's just such a good guy, and I'm very very lucky. Not just I I mean I've got a great dad. I've got an incredible mum. And even more so my my stepdad and my stepmom I could not have hand chose a better stepmom and stepdad but I want to talk about my dad and again this is a guy you know he never missed a game of football when I was playing football even at the point where him when my stepmom was in labor with my little sister he still came to my football match you know he sacrificed and he continues to sacrifice all of his time his money especially his money with my youngest sister Brianna who's still bleeding them dry with all our, our dance, dance uh, classes. You know, he, he, he is the guy who will give you everything in exchange for his own happiness and his own health. He could have been a very rich man. He could have moved to Canada at one point if it wasn't for me. You know, my dad could have lived a very different life, but my dad ultimately lives his life for his children and absolutely love the bones of my dad. But it pains me to say when I was leaving to travel, I was genuinely worried. I genuinely was worried. And and dad, I'm sorry that I'm talking about this. And I'm sorry if it upsets you. But I know you'll understand. And I was genuinely worried that I would never see my dad again. And dad, again, if you're listening, I hope you don't mind me sharing this. Because I know deep down, these are things... That you would want me to share. To try and help other people. And I know that you'd be proud of me. For sharing these things for the both of you. Because I know that you find these things very difficult. And maybe I've got a voice. Or I've developed a voice. Which you feel like you wish you had. So I hope that you don't mind me talking about these things. And I hope you don't mind me showing my concern. Or talking about how much I was concerned about you. Now... A year or two pre- previous to that time of me leaving to travel the world is when my dad's brother passed away um, through taking his own life, he committed suicide. And it, it tore a hole not just through the family's heart but more, most importantly, my dad's heart. Now you, you, you might resonate with me at this point that you know when a parent, especially a dad who's like, You know, he's a a fucking superhuman Avenger, the majority of your life. You know when they, that, that point, there's always a point in your parents' life where they suddenly become a mortal human. It was at that moment when my uncle passed away that my dad became not only a mortal human, but a fragile human. And my dad's that nice of a person that, you know, he doesn't want to burden anyone else with his pain. And he's that old school, yeah, he comes from a little village in Scotland. where Guys don't talk about their feelings and they keep everything inside. And that's fine, that's okay. And that is why I know my dad's very proud of me for having this voice and to be able to vocalize how I feel. And ultimately how I feel about him. And in that situation, uh, leaving, you know, again, was hard at that point. It's hard to see a parent suffer mentally to the point where it starts to appear physically. You know, he wasn't sleeping as well. He wasn't doing the right things. He wasn't eating the right things or drinking the right things. And dad, you know yourself, you weren't looking after yourself as much as, as much as me and you had a conversation and I know this goes unspoken between us, um, unless we've had a few drinks, but again, Dad, I know you're you're very proud of me for opening up about my mental health. And especially with what happened with my uncle and your brother. Um, and it really, that point again, that two weeks, it really tore me up to the point I was having doubts about leaving. It was the only time I ever had doubts about leaving which is when i see, uh, which is because of my dad because he was in such a fragile and volatile state you know at that point i felt like i was second in command i felt like i was second in command to look after my stepmom to look after my brother and my two sisters and i felt like i didn't want to leave them i didn't want to go to the other side of the world i wanted to stay and help my dad i wanted to stay and help the family and i wanted to, you know ultimately i wanted my dad to get better and and feel better and be better and and look better but he reassured me again we had a few conversations and, and he reassured me but i'll never ever forget you know you know how every now and again you, you can recall a moment where you can you can smell it you can taste it you can see it you can see the people about you can pretty much recreate a moment in your mind and i'll never forget the day that i went to the airport you know, like my mum was there my stepmom was there my dad was there you know my sister was there and stuff and I was going through security and that was the last time I could see them and you know everyone's upset of course everyone's upset because they didn't know when I was coming back wasn't sure if I'd see my dad again again I might have been overreacting but that's just how I felt at that point and I took a mental photograph at that moment and it was just like it's hard to describe how I felt in that moment but nothing nothing can prepare you for that that is the most difficult part Of the whole process for me was leaving my friends, leaving my family ultimately, but most importantly, leaving my dad when I felt like he needed me more than ever. Thankfully, dad, you are still here, you're still fighting, and you're still the best dad in the whole fucking world. And if anything, I think subconsciously, me opening up about my own battles was a way of showing to you that it's okay for you to open up and that you can prosper as well and that you are never too old of a dog to learn new tricks dad um, so and again I'm very sorry for discussing this so publicly but again I know this will help other people and I know you'll you'll know and you'll be proud that this will help other people um, because ultimately we don't want anyone else to go through what we went through and what you continue to go through um, and when we lost our uncle. And I don't want to ever feel like I can't leave the family again, in in case I don't see any of them ever again, so. So dad, maybe one day, me and you will get together on this podcast and we can share a whiskey, a nicer whiskey than drum, because I know you've got some good whiskeys back in Scotland. It would be an absolute dream and an honor for, for you to join me in a podcast. Um, and talk about these things openly and, and help other people because I know you're capable and yeah so we'll see what happens I'm making that a goal of mine so let's see what happens dad and that was it Ivana and I set off for Asia to our first destination of Singapore via Ivana's parents in Perth Australia and that was it we were knee deep in our dreams of experience and connections that we had worked so bloody hard for up until that point Now, obviously, the chapter after that is an interesting one, including how we turned a travel diary into a thriving blog which earns a passive and active income, and how a one-year sabbatical is now over two years deep. But that's a whole different episode. All right, we're already well over an hour here, I think. So that's a whole different episode, but I think we've managed to cover a lot. So I'm going to conclude how to quit your job and travel the world. So to summarise, this has to be your dream and no one else's dream. Don't be conditioned then believing believe this is your dream because you see it on Instagram. This is to be yours. You must be willing to work hard with the right attitude. You need to make sacrifices. Quite a lot of sacrifices. You have to have patience and consistency. So you need to be out there every day hustling hard, making things happen, making money. All of that ultimately to turn your dream of a fulfilling lifestyle into a reality. And I made up this saying and I think it's rubbish because it sounds better in my head than it does um, out loud. And it's probably grammatically incorrect. But Here we go. It's nothing easy ever feels good and nothing good ever comes easy. Does that make sense? I don't know, but it's a saying I made up and I know what it means inside my head. It might mean something to you and if it doesn't, then I apologize. Now I'm gonna finish up this episode with some questions, which were sent through via voice note on Instagram, which I think I'm going to do at the end, just keep the questions for the end, so you've got something to look forward to, and if you've if you've sent in your question, you can wait and see if it, if it gets read out at the end, and we'll just keep this, this last section, um, so I can cover some non-episode topic things, um, and keep it an open forum, alright, so let's start with question number one from Sam, here we go. All right, Jamie, how's it going? Um, Congrats on the first episode, it was class. Um, I'm also from Scotland, and I've traveled to, I'm currently in Malawi, it's my 38th country, uh, and I'm only 22. But the big problem is I've run out of all my savings, so I was wondering how you and Havana actually afford to leave your jobs and stuff and go abroad, and how much money do the, the internet platforms actually rake in? Cheers, and keep up thank you very much for that question Sam thank you um, first and foremost amazing achievements that is some amount of countries for a young age um, I think you've been to more countries than me I'll need to double check my my app um, but fair play mate that is, that's huge um, again earning money whilst travelling is a whole other topic and episode um, we will dedicate an entire episode to that but I can give you some pointers of course I can uh, one thing we've, we've probably learned in terms of the easiest way to make an income for for people who are digital nomads or whatever you want to call them um, is freelancing. Uh, we know a lot of people who are social media manager, social media managers, um, copy or ghost writers, um, and a big one is teaching English to Chinese kids online, um, which seems to earn good money. I did. Was that a Scottish accent from Sam there? Um, good luck trying to teach Chinese kids English with a Scottish accent. Trust me, I know. Um, something that something that I did consider at one point was teaching Chinese kids online. I think I actually even done the test. I sat in front of a camera. It was like a mock-up, and it was like you know you've got to, you've got to record it so they can like evaluate your performance to see if you are a good enough teacher to teach these Chinese kids some uh, English. And I was sat there in front of my laptop. Um, we dogs, toys, try to say cat and uh, dog and other words. And I thought, you know what, no matter how bad it gets, no matter how bad it gets, you will not catch me teaching Chinese kids English online because I was rubbish at it. And it was rubbish, it was rubbish. And that was just a test. I didn't even go to, I didn't even go to the final stage of actually trying to teach um, English online to Chinese kids but there is ways of doing that and you can earn pretty good money by all means Uh, I know a few people that do it and it sustains their travels Um, you can also do it through TEFL T-E-F-L again that's another thing I didn't share with you Ivana and I actually paid all the money for TEFL we we were going to do it and we got right to the final assignment Um, it was like a written assignment I think and then we went to Las Vegas at the point where we were meant to submit it and after Las Vegas we were a wee bit jet lagged and hungover um, and we thought, no thank you, this is not for me, I I am not doing this, it was just, it was too hard first and foremost, um, but ultimately I, I just it's just not for us, you know, I didn't want to force, I didn't want to travel and teach English, you know, travel for me was about enjoying the experience, being fulfilled, I did not want to go and do something that was unfulfilling, but ultimately there is a fulfilment in teaching children English, so that is an option. Obviously, if you have a talent, um, some of our friends sell presets for images. Some of them sell ebooks. Some of them make online courses. Some of them do online group trips, photography tours. You can create physical products such as t shirts or toothbrushes. You know, there's loads of things you can do. Um, some of my mates even done like one to one coaching calls. Like, if you were an expert in a certain field before you started traveling, then you could promote yourself as an expert and, and if so, if someone's got a problem within that build and they want to talk to you to try and help them then you know you can earn a, you know you can earn a money earn, earn some money doing that as well so there's loads away and um, one thing that we have found whilst traveling is there are a million ways to make money online especially if you're resourceful The hardest part is knowing what to focus your time on and making time in the first place, especially once you've had a taste of that freedom. You know, if you're sat by the beach and you think, shit, I need to start earning some money, the last thing you want to do is remove yourself from the beach to go and start earning some money. So it it does require a lot of discipline. Um, So you need to think about your strengths and what you, you would feel comfortable with exchanging your time for and go for it. If you're a good writer then get on websites like Fiverr and Upwork um, to promote your services. If you're a good photographer, then pitch to hotels and brands to work for them. Or if all else fails, you can teach English to Chinese kids online. Um, so there's loads loads of things you can do. In terms of the, what we make on our platforms, we don't make anything directly from Instagram, um, but we have and we do get the odd offer of collaborations with brands and services for content creation, like the hotels in Bali here and we say, oh, come and stay for two nights, take some pictures that we can use, post some pictures on your Instagram, do some swipe up stories and all that kind of stuff. Um, we have got that through Instagram. Uh, we've only got 29,000 followers, so we're not, we're not at the point where we can monetize. Um, but we've had some very good, good things um, come from the Instagram, for sure. Uh, the ultimate thing is we utilize our very beautiful, very engaged, but small, Instagram audience to direct them elsewhere, um, particularly the blog, which we've been very bo- vocal about, um, and we have started to make money from our blog, um, and you can make money through a million different ways when it comes to a blog, uh, mostly affiliate links, ad placements, sponsored links, sponsored posts, um, to name a few, um, um, Right now, the money that we earn from the blog keeps our running costs afloat. Um, man, we don't earn too much more than that just now. Um, but we have received another uh, few deals. No, another few deals. We have received a deal recently which was worth five figures. And again, we will get into that soon on a different podcast episode because it's exciting. Yeah, five-figure deal. Our first ever five-figure deal we received recently. So that was a huge cash injection and that was a mixture of photography and uh, blog. So again, we'll, we'll talk about that later. Um, we also, as some of, you, some of you might know, some of you might have even bought, we made a, an online course which made us close to five figures as well. And that was about how to start, build and monetize a blog, um, which was a mental experience because we were in no way experts, but we had a value because we were at a rung in the ladder that some people wanted to get to you've got to value your experience, you've got to value your knowledge and value where you are at and and your journey as a value to other other people. You know, not everyone wants to be the best blog in the world. Obviously, they want to be the best blog in the world. But to get there, they need to take all these tiny stepping stones. And to get to the next step is sometimes the hardest thing for people to work out. And if you're providing a gap, a bridge between that gap, you know, you don't need to be an expert, you just provide a bridge to the next step then some people will buy that, and that's what we done. We never, we weren't claiming to be the best bloggers in the world, but what we were saying is we could turn you from beginner and mediocre, and we'll give you the tools to become an expert. You know. So again, if you've got any, if you've got any sort of experience or value, then that will ultimately be a value or an experience that someone's willing to pay for my dream is now to monetize this podcast. Now, I know I'm only in episode two, but I have got high hopes for this podcast um, through many, any means possible, whether that's sponsorships, ad revenue, or whatever else. If anyone just wants to donate money, that would be lovely. Um, if you really like this. You might even get a Patreon account, which can let anyone who watches this or listen to this um, donate. So, yeah. Joe Rogan uh, just made $30 million last year. From his podcast alone 30 million dollars From a podcast I mean I'd be happy With 30,000 a year So Maybe I'll set that As my target But I'll get there I'm very confident I'll get there So all in all There is an infinite Amount of ways To make money Whilst you're travelling You just have to be resourceful And you need to be willing To make a few changes You know In the way you currently travel Ultimately you're going to Have to exchange some time To make some money But hopefully I've given you A few wee golden nuggets there On to the next question, which is from Jack. Let's get this question up and running. Hi, Jamie. Uh, My question for you is about mental health. Uh, Mental health and social media have obviously got such a controversial and, uh, you know, hairy relationship. So I want to know, as someone who, both of those things have played such a big part of your life, do you think that in general, Uh, social media is having a positive or negative effect uh, on people's mental health and also what is something that we can all be doing to make sure that we're contributing positively uh, through social media to uh, other people's mental health and our own uh, and also making sure that we're not contributing in any negative way um, to mental health. Uh, Well done on the first podcast mate I thought it was absolutely incredible and I can't wait to uh, hear the next ones. See you later. Thank you very much, Jack. Uh, thanks for tuning in to the podcast uh, for all your kind words. But yes, there is, and that's a very good question. Social media and mental health is a fucking minefield. Um, and there's a very fine balance between positive and negative impacts when it comes to social media. Now, I think it was Theodore Roosevelt. I think his quote was Comparison is the thief, the thief of joy. Comparison is the thief of joy, or comparison is the killer of joy, something like that. And it couldn't be more true. Maybe he was even talking about social media at that point. Uh, Maybe he foreseen that social media was coming. And and that's true because we all suffer from it. And right now, if you look at Ivana, she's the perfect example. She is on a self-imposed break from social media. And ultimately, that is because due to her eye situation, she is unable to be here with me. She is unable to be doing things that she loves doing. And by watching other people's stories, by watching my stories, it was getting her down. It was making her feel frustrated, and it was giving her serious FOMO. Um, and that can be applied to all things, you know. If if you're a su- if you're single, and you you follow the the perfect couple, and they're always on your stories every single day, being so fucking in love and beautiful and romantic, then you're ultimately going to compare your situation to theirs, and that's not always a good thing. Um, again, I look at my I, I look at my younger sister's generations and how much they are image obsessed, especially when it comes to their weight. One of my young sisters, Neve, in particular, who is absolutely stunning, and she's such a lovely, kind-hearted soul, but she is so in tune with the whole social media bubble when it comes to image. And she takes it hard when she sees another girl maybe in a bikini with a different body shape to hers. And that's, it. Like, that's all it takes for For the young generation these days to to get upset or obsessed or you know negatively impact mentally when it comes to social media Um, we live in dangerous times when it comes to social media um, you know and with the health implications that can have and to the point where i was absolutely delighted to see instagram take away the likes on the images i've noticed facebook doing it as well And I hope they actually go one step further. I hope they take away the amount of followers that people have and how much you're following as well. If you can imagine a social media platform like Instagram that has no numbers involved, it would be a completely different platform. It would be an even playing field. You know, you remove the validation and the judgment, which which all depends on our numbers and other people's numbers. You know, we naturally gravitate to people on social media who have large amounts of followers and likes, and we ignore those that don't. Almost like a, it's almost like a social score. There's an episode of the Black Mirror, it's like if you've got a social score, you're treating yourself a certain way. If you've got a high social score, then everyone gravitates towards you, everyone loves you, they laugh at your shite jokes. Um, and if you've got a shit social score, no one even looks in your direction, they treat you like shit. And that's, that's, that is a reflection of social media. You know, if you've got no followers, then no one's going to give you the time of day. Who's who's, this? who's, who's messaged me? How many followers have they got? How many? One hundred? Ah, fuck that. Oh, who's wh- who's that message from? Oh, they've got a blue tick. How many followers? you hell. Send, send them my WhatsApp number. I'll FaceTime them in two settings. That, and that's what it's like, you know, without a picture. If so, if people are judging each other actually on the numbers rather than the, this, the, the personality behind the numbers so it's dangerous it's very very dangerous Um, and again ultimately those who have large followings and influence are genuinely rich or and or beautiful people and they're living usually an unattainable life uh, which can be devastating for your mental health um, if you are comparing yourself to people online so things I think that we can do to combat that, I think everyone who creates a profile on no the matter, the uh, the the platform, they should um, have some proper form of verification. There's a lot of trolls online, hiding behind a profile, and they've you know they've got a, the ability to say the most negative things without ever being brought to task for it, and I think that's very dif- uh, that's very dangerous, and I've seen that happen a lot. Then it's happened to us a few times actually over over time. I don't, I don't give a fuck about trolls, I actually quite enjoy it, I think it's quite funny, but cert- I know people can take that to heart, um, and that's dangerous, so I think everyone who has a social media account, should be verified in some way, shape or form, you know, and by being able to disguise who you are, your gender, or your age, or where you're from, uh, and all that kind of stuff, very dangerous, especially when you think about, how young people, um, you know, teenagers and younger, I've got access to smartphones and internet now, minefield for dangerous things, so, uh, yeah, I think verification for anyone who creates any profile online needs to happen, rather than just being able to just make a fake email address, make a fake account, put a fake picture up, and then you've got access to everyone and anyone, and you can say whatever the fuck you want, and ultimately, no one can pull you up for it, because you can disappear into the night without anyone saying anything, Um and the police, you know, are they gonna find you? Probably not, unless it's something really serious, but probably not. Um, I also think, especially with social media, we've been conditioned to judge and be negative, um, either directly to people or behind their backs. It seems to be the natural emotions and behaviors to not only online but in real life too, I think, I think it's just, be, we've all become creatures that judge from a distance and we make, we prejudge people and again, that can sometimes be through the, the way they act online. That can be sometimes through how they look or how they act from a distance without actually meeting a person. Um, and I think we've been conditioned just to, to assume someone's a bad person or assume that they're a, a pain in the arse or a horrible person or just to be negative about them. And I, I think that's very dangerous for me personally. And I've been really trying this more recently as I'm on this journey of fucking self-help and trying to be a better person. Every day I'm trying. Anyone that I engage with, I smile. Anyone I engage with, I say hello. Anyone I engage with, I ask how they are. I try and be positive. I try and say something nice about them, and I try and empower them. And if you do that several times throughout your day, you very quickly you're making you very quickly find that you're making a, a positive impact on people, and that applies to online as well. Words are the most powerful tool online because that's how we communicate online, it's through your words. So having that power to have a massively positive impact in someone's day through your words is a power that should be utilized and used more. Um, it's very empowering um, the ability be having that ability to change someone's mood for the better. So I think we should all utilize that more. Um, again, positivity breeds positivity, negativity breeds negativity. So if you want to have a positive life, then be positive. Be positive to other people and positive things will come to you. I'm a big believer in that. Um, and if you're a fundamentally a negative person, you're horrible online, you say horrible things about people or to them or behind their back, then you live a very unhappy and negative life. So aye. So basically, if you're being a dick online, stop being a dick online. That's that's basically what I'm trying to say. Just be nice. Um, and if you compare yourselves to others constantly, then either stop... Because you only ever see the highlight of someone's day. Again, it is the highlight reel. It might look like they're having the best fucking life ever, but you don't always see the behind-the-scenes stuff, so don't compare yourself to others. And ultimately, if you're not enjoying a platform, if you click on a platform and you leave that platform every single time feeling down and un- unhappy, then remove yourself of the platform. Have a break. Um. Also, in the morning, this is important, this is one thing I try and do, and I'm telling Ivana to do it as well, I see, I look at my phone all day, every day, yes, and at night, yes, but first thing in the morning, that is when you, the the tone is set for your day. Now, I guarantee this, if you put, if you don't look at your phone in the morning, you get up, you know, you breathe, you stretch, you have a wee walk, you drink some water, or have a coffee, um... And you avoid all the bullshit and the noise from the media and online and social media and all that kind of stuff for the first hour of your day, then your day will be completely different. The worst thing you can do is you're groggy-eyed and open it and you know coming coming to come life in the morning is look at your phone because instantly you'll be you'll be met with something that riles you, upsets you, um, or makes you feel bad, and that's not a good way to start your day. So try it. The first hour of your day, fuck your phone, get it somewhere else, do something productive instead. Um, and then you can look at it all day every day because, you know, you've, you've already set the tone. The next question is from Campbell. Here we go, Campbell. Hi, Jamie. Campbell from Highlands to Hammocks here. I love the podcast, mate. I've uh, just got a quick question about something that you spoke about in your wandering to Instagram stories last week um, about opening up your different social platforms for your different channels and um, specifically LinkedIn. Um, How useful have you found LinkedIn and what kind of things are you planning on doing with it? I'm always curious to hear uh, people's stories about LinkedIn because it's not something that I know that much about. All right, cheers, mate. Good question. Um, LinkedIn is something that I've been meaning to do for a long time for Wondering too. Um, But now that we've got Jamie's wee podcast in the mix as well, I killed two birds with one stone this week and I created two business pages, obviously one for and 2 and one for the podcast. And to be honest man, I've no idea how the platform works. I've no idea how we're going to utilise it as well, it's going to be the bare minimum um, and it's going to be something that we we figure out as we go. Again I'm a big fan of learning by doing and not over researching which I touched on in episode 1 because... I did have a wee look at things about um, LinkedIn. And ultimately, it's a rabbit hole. It's just another massive social platform. Um, But if you hear Gary Vee and Tony Robbins and other other guys talking about um, platforms to get on right now and try and be on trend or ahead of the trend, um, then LinkedIn is the one. TikTok's the other one. Try TikTok. Uh, Yep, I'll probably give that a miss for a wee while, but I don't really know what to post on there and it seems to be just like, 14-year-old girl, so not the kind of audience we're looking for, um, but LinkedIn is one that I'm going to give a go, so, uh, so yeah, time will tell, man. Um, who knows what this platform's got in store for us. Right now, we are very much at the A-B testing on every platform to see what sticks, you know, it's like throw spaghetti in the wall and see what sticks, see which is the most productive, which comes back with the best results um because ultimately it's a fine balance between getting yourself in front of as many eyes as possible but also spreading yourself too thin by trying to be everywhere and doing everything and you know uh, it's just, sometimes it's more unproductive to be everywhere and doing everything so uh, we're just we're on every platform we can be on right now we'll, we'll do what we need to do on each platform and then we'll judge the analytics from there um again in terms of what we share i won't be spending any other time on it other than just like posting the latest blog post or well resharing the latest blog post or resharing the latest podcast episode Um, and we'll see what engagement and analytics come from that and if it brings better reach or engagement than Instagram or Facebook or whatever then we'll adjust the suit you know go where your audience is and where the audience is most engaged so yes AB testing that's that's where we're at with LinkedIn don't know too much about it we're on it We'll give it a go, and we'll see what happens. So that's it. That's the questions done. Three questions in this week. Thank you to those guys, Sam, Jack, and Campbell, for sending in the questions. I hope you enjoyed the answers, and that is that's the conclusion to what has been another roller coaster of emotions for episode two. Um, I hope you all enjoyed it, and I hope there were some words of wisdom in there for you. Um, I really enjoyed the question part. I think that's going to be good to finish on at the end. So please, please keep those voice notes coming in for your chance to be featured on here. I love to hear your lovely voices. Um, it's very real and relatable and you know, people who are actually genuinely connected with this podcast um, send in questions, and I am committed to giving you the best possible answers. So keep those coming in. Um. So here we go. That's it. It's the end. It's now Thursday night here in Bali. I am almost... I want it to be more down than that, I'm halfway through a bottle of whiskey, it's hard to to drink and talk at the same time, Uh, my friends Gavin Mick aka Life Before Kids are having leaving drinks tonight, there's leaving drinks every other night here in Bali because people come and go all the time, so I'm going to give them a wee text, let's just check the phone to see if they've messaged, let me see, plenty of messages in there, so see if they've messaged and then I'll, I'll see if they're about I'm maybe going to have a few drinks and enjoy my Thursday night in Bali. And I hope you all have a fantastic week and I will see you soon for episode three. Again, this is a wee podcast for big subjects and personalities sprinkled with a touch of Scottish humour. Goodbye.